all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We with an unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are transformed. Now, in this section in 2 Corinthians, Paul is comparing Moses to Christ. He does that throughout chapter 3. We didn't read that, but maybe you can read it after the service. The glory that came through the ministry of Moses and the old covenant that came on the Mount Sinai, comparing that with the glory that Paul now understands comes in Christ. For Paul himself gloried in that old glory. He gloried in it. He was an expert in the Old Testament. He excelled above all his contemporaries. He was a learned man. And the glory, if you had asked him before his conversion, was the glory of Moses and the old covenant and the law which threatened death to man. What he's discovered in being saved and discovering the love of Christ for himself, which he speaks of in this letter, and his love for Christ, is that there is another glory which he now sees, the glory of the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. That this glory is just as powerful and if not more powerful, he says that in the passage, the ministry of condemnation had a glory but the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. He's discovered that glory, but it doesn't look the same. It's not outward. You don't see God descending with fire on a mountain. You don't see a a group of people going through a split Red Sea. You don't see the Egyptians being destroyed. You see Christ in his ministry. You see a small group of disciples in the book of Acts. You see Paul himself with many of the false apostles turning against him, many of the cities he went into didn't accept the gospel, he was beaten, he was arrested, he was accused, and even this church, who he loves and which he planted, has turned against him. They say Apollos is better than him, he doesn't speak very well, that he's bold in his letters, but he isn't that impressive in person, that he just wants their money, that he just wants them to be submissive under him so he can control them. Paul says that the solution to all of that, and the solution to any problem actually we have in the Christian life, is to go to the centre of it all, to Christ himself. And to see that there is a glory that comes from Christ that can't be seen with the eye. The natural, physical eye. It can't be seen there. But nevertheless, it is greater. He speaks about this glory throughout this passage and he says that it is the glory of God verse 18 we behold reflecting or as in a mirror the glory of the Lord the glory of God or the glory of the Lord which is spoken of throughout the Old Testament when they saw God appearing in a physical light glory they actually saw it but he's saying we can see a glory We can see it. You might ask, what is a glory? I hear the word glory. We sing the word glory in the Psalms. What is glory? Glory just means to display 
to display something immense, something wonderful, something beautiful. The glory of the sun, the moon, the stars, the glory of a building, the glory of an army, the glory of a, a great person, a great king, and all of his servants in his palace. A wonderful thing that impresses you when you see it. He says that it's the glory of God that we should be concerned with. You might visit a palace you might look up at the stars in the night sky and you may be impressed. But God tells us in this passage that as believers, we can actually see the glory of God. You may wonder how that's the case. You can't see what Isaiah saw, what Ezekiel saw, what Moses saw. You don't see the glory cloud descending into this building like it did in the temple. You don't see those things. But nevertheless, God tells us today as a fact that we will accept at the beginning of the sermon, accept the fact that we can see the glory and let's figure out what is that glory and what does it look like so we can see the glory of the Lord. We sang in the psalm that we go into God's temple like David to see the beauty of the Lord in Psalm 63 it says, I've seen you, I beheld your glory in your holy place. Where do we see then this glory? Where do we see it? There's three places quickly that we definitely see it, and then we'll see how we see it. Let's just take firstly these three brief points. Where do we see God's glory? We see it in the word of God. That's the key. The Word of God. You'll see in verse 15 of chapter 3 that Paul says that even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. The Hebrews. The Hebrews who he was witnessing to and preaching to. He says that when the Word of God is read, a veil lies on their heart. And they can't see the glory that comes from the Word. This entire passage is about the Word. Paul is defending his preaching as a preacher of the Word. And the Corinthians aren't responding to it and seeing it as glorious. They say, it's foolish. It, it's not impressive. The Greek speakers are greater. There's nothing impressive about this. And the Hebrews he was preaching to found that as a stumbling block. They had a temple. They had sacrifices, animals. They had kings and priests. And God took all of that away and put a couple of men who weren't that impressive, a couple of men preaching the word. And the Hebrews say, this is nothing like the old covenant. But Paul is telling them that the power in Christianity and the power of salvation comes from the word. It's when Moses is read that a glory is emitted and it shines. And he says, the Hebrews might not see it because a veil lies on their hearts. But for you, Christian, there is no veil on your hearts. Verse 17, uh, uh, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So if you're a true Christian this morning, you love God, you have a thirst for his word, your desires have been changed, you've been drawn to God, Paul says a veil was taken away from your heart. There is no veil covering your heart, which means you can't see the glory. We see it in the word. The word shines. The Psalms which we sung show that. The great psalm of the word of God, Psalm 19, tells us that it's glorious. That it shines. It tells us that 
it, it converts the soul in sin that lies. It tells us that it makes the simple wise. It tells us that it imparts light. Psalm 119, the other great psalm of the Word of God, tells us that this Word is a light and a lamp to the feet, that the entrance of thy Word gives light. We see the glory of God when we read Genesis, Exodus, the Psalms, the Prophets, the Gospels, the Letters. We are coming into contact with the glory of God. So remember, remember that when you're reading the Word. Don't, don't come to this casually um, as a normal book. Don't become used to it. Uh, don't, don't find this a burden. Be excited about any time you're going to come into contact with God's Word because you never know what God is going to do with it. And if you're prayerful and expectant, He will display Himself in the mystery of the reading of it and the preaching of it. I'm not just imparting information to you. I'm trying to give you a sense of the Word. I'm trying to break it apart so that it will emit a fragrance and a glory to you. So you trust what God says when you come into contact with His Word. His glory is seen. And the glory of His acts, the glory of His great redemption in the Old Testament, the glory of what He's done in Christ, it's all seen there. You see a display of who God is. You're not going to see that anywhere else. You see a little of it in the creation. But you're not going to see this type of display. You wouldn't find it in any other holy book. You're not going to find it in a well-written article. You're not going to find it in a well-written book that's the top seller on Amazon. That is not where you will find the glory of God. You find it here in the law, in the testimony of Christ, that he breathes from this. Isn't that exciting? That you can read this and sit before it and something like that can happen. So we see it in the word of God. But we can take that further. We see it in uh, the gospel itself. The gospel, which is, that's more specific than the word generally. Proverbs is useful. It's glorious. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us uh, a spiritual morality. It teaches us what it is to be wise. There are many other parts of scripture Esther, Genesis, where we see the story of God's redemption unfolding and we can do what the elder did. We can look at Isaac and Rebekah and we can take principles from that and even see Christ in his church, see the sovereignty of God. We find the glory of God there, but where is it clearest? Where is the glory of God in its full clarity? It's in the Gospels the Gospels. Why is that? Because the Word became flesh. This isn't the only Word. The Old Testament, we're not left to ourselves with this Word. We're told the Word of God became flesh. The Son of God, who is the Word of God, the one who speaks from God, he became flesh. So where do you find him? You find him walking in Galilee. You find him preaching. You find him dealing with people. We see the glory of God there. Turn for a, a moment to John's Gospel in chapter 2. John's Gospel chapter 2. 
and verse 10. John 2 verse 10. So Christ is at the wedding of Cana here. It's at the very beginning of his ministry. It's the first thing he did publicly. Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior wine. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see that? In John 1, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John says of them, we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we don't need to go out there to find the glory of God. We see it in Christ. We see it in a man now. That wasn't the case before. You didn't see his glory in Isaiah or anyone else. But you can look at Christ, the man, Jesus, in his humanity, and God, that, that is God. It's not someone who tells you what God is like. When John looked at Jesus, he was looking at God, pouring through the flesh of Christ, filling the mind, soul, and body of Christ. He's right there in a way that he never was in the Old Testament. He's right in front of him and he's beholding who he is in his glory. And what are we told in John 2? That when Jesus turned the water in, into wine, he did a sign and it says that's where he first manifested his glory. Not in a, a great destruction of a city or anything like that, like in the Old Testament. In the, the turning of the water into wine, in the theme of the wedding, in the provision of the fruit of the vine for God's people, the joy and gladness and the refreshment that comes from the fruit of the vine, John says that was Christ revealing the glory of God. So we know we see it in the gospel. We see it in Christ um, being incarnate and manifesting that God manifests in the flesh. And then we see it in every miracle Christ does. Every time Christ did a miracle, it was the glory of God breaking out. The water turned to wine, and all of the, the smell of the fruit of the vine, the sight of it, the taste of it, the, the awesome fact that he turned so much water into so much wine, and then, and so on, all the other miracles, the breaking of the bread, the multiplying of the bread, the raising of Lazarus, um, him being transfigured, all of these things. When you read the Gospels, the glory of God is being emitted from the gospel when you read it. And that's a, that's a wonderful uh, thing. You think, I can't see the glory of God. Where do I find it? You find it by spiritually and prayerfully reading the gospels. If you want to know God, if you want to delve into the depth of God, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want your life to be filled with Christ, read those four Gospels all of the time and be in awe of him. Each time he says something and does something, you are seeing who God is displayed for you in, the, in this man, in this son. He who has seen me has seen God. He's seen the Father. 
Jesus said. Uh, Paul actually brings that out in our passage when he moves into chapter 4 and he says that the devil has blinded the mind of those who do not believe, verse 4. He says, in case the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And in verse 6, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's not just his physical face, as John and Peter and Nathaniel saw it. It's not only in the physical face you see the glory of God. Paul is saying that in the message of the gospel, as you read the four gospels, and as you read his letters, you begin to see a face. You begin to see who someone is. You see what he says, you see what he does, and it, you be, a face begins to appear. A person becomes real to you. It's spiritual, it's by the word. You don't see a picture, you don't see his physical appearance. But as you read, you'll, you'll know that when you read a biography or you read a letter from someone, sometimes you get such a sense of the personality of the person through the writing. That's even more true here. When you read, Christian, these four Gospels, Paul says that you are being given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you love that character. You love that face. That face is comely to you. Beautiful. It's, he, he is different than other people. You see no fallenness, no mistakes. You see love and tenderness, a willingness to forgive you. You even see a humility. Whenever you're with Christ, he, he's, more, he's more humble than you are. And he's God. But you feel that you're in the presence of someone who's, who has perfect humility, yet at the same time he can turn around and say to you, I will judge the world. And you believe him when he says both. You see the humility and the judgment. You see the, the perfect character of God. The heavy the weighty, the judgment, and the love, humility, and the drawing, and the affection, and the tenderness to you. You see the greatest person. You see God, God's glory and display, his multicolored display. You see it revealed as you walk with Jesus in those four Gospels. You see it revealed in his face. You also see it in the cross. You see it in the Word generally. You see it in the Gospels. You see it in the cross. Paul speaks much about the cross in the letter, in the two letters to the Corinthians. He says that, it, that death, there's a ministry of death, there's a law that will kill us, and it's Christ that brings life. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul lifted up the sufferings of Christ. He lifted up the cross before the Corinthians. And he said, you must deal with the cross. And he even said that in his own body, he looked crucified. That he carried the death of the Lord in his own body because Paul was lacerated and beaten and stoned. He looked like Jesus, actually, in that respect. He looked like someone who loved Jesus because they beat him just like they beat Jesus. Paul knows about suffering and when he tells us to behold in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord. He knows that there is a glory in the Gospels, but that that glory concentrates and becomes heavy and immense in the the cross itself at the end of each of those Gospels. Jesus said in the upper room, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. God's ways are strange and his mind is immense. You usually glorify a king by putting him on a throne and giving him a land and giving him horses and flags and armies. But God glorified his son by putting him on the cross. God glorified himself by shrouding Jerusalem in darkness by bringing the Sanhedrin against Christ, by, a, by putting him in the Garden of Gethsemane and showing him his terror so that Christ sweated blood and fell before him and trembled before him. God showed his glory by allowing Satan at, to, to strike Christ. God showed his glory by taking his son, as Abraham did Isaac, by taking his son to the the hill of Golgotha and raising him up for everyone to see and while these soldiers were watching him thinking they were making him suffer spiritually in Christ's mind and soul there was something greater going on his own father was judging him and punishing him and crushing him Isaiah says for the sins of his people people like me he crushed him and judged him and he took the judgment of hell that I deserve and it's like a spiritual black hole on the cross it's intense and heavy and mysterious and he puts it into the soul of Christ he shrouds Christ in darkness where you'd think there would be no glory but it's there at that very moment that we see the greatest revelation of the glory of God in history. That's where we see the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, Paul says. That's where we see it. Because at the cross, there's no mistaking who God is. He reveals his glory. We would think it would be a display of heaven and joy and singing and love, which is glorious and one day we will get there but not at the cross there is a greater glory at the cross not one you would expect where God shows me he shows me at the cross how inflexible and how immense and how holy his character is that is a true glory that God doesn't look at one sin and wink at it and pretend that it didn't happen that's a true glorious character we ask for that in our presidents and prime ministers. We, we criticize them because, because they're hypocrites and they do deals behind the scenes and all of these things. And we say, how immoral. But often, even as Christians, we want God to do the same thing. Please don't be too holy. Please think sin is a mediocre thing that can be dealt with with a, a brief crucifixion and then please don't speak about my, my sin. No. 
That's not a true glorious character. A truly glorious person like God looks at evil and he calls it what it is and he says, this deserves severity. And if you've been sinned against or you've sinned against yourself and destroyed parts of your life or someone has treated you terribly, you're not going to look at sin and say, oh, it's no big deal. You know that sin is a heinous and evil thing. On the cross I see the glory of God because he shows me I am righteous and I will not justify the wicked I will not clear the guilty I will not wink at sin I am holy I am noble I am righteous and I always do what is right but at the same time he shows me that the punishment for that is crushing the soul and the head of his own glorious and beautiful son and I ask that is not right. I may say, like Richard Dawkins, that this is the, the action of a megalomaniac. That this is the action of someone who is psychotic, who, who is barbaric. No. If I see the glory and awe and the depth of the righteousness of God, and then I look at him crushing his son, I ask why, and I say, that is because his mercy is as great as his righteousness his love he's doing that to the one he shouldn't do it to because he loves the one he should do it to he loves me and I, I should be there this should not be happening but it is happening because he has loved me he has shown me mercy he pities me he looks at my sin and he says he must deal with it but I will not crush you believer I will put him in your place so we see at the cross his justice his righteousness his wisdom his faithfulness his mercy and his love in that darkness and cloud around Calvary we see all that God is breaking forth in those hours that he's dealing with Christ you want to know who God is you need to go to the cross. You need to go there. If you're going to, if you're going to um, play light with your sin and you're going to play with it and embrace it, you go to the cross and you see what sin is and it will stop you with that sin. You go and see him dealing with Christ when you think sin is light if you think that Christ doesn't love you anymore if you think he's not in your life and his providence makes no sense go to the cross go inside the dark cloud and look at the face of Christ not in beauty but as it was battered and bruised for your sin and you see love that's willing to allow himself to be, to be treated that way for you greater love is no man than this that he gives his life for his friends Jesus said you go there so we see the glory of God in the ministry of the word Paul says here when Moses is read but we see him in the gospels and we see him at the cross the truth is you may feel at a disadvantage you may feel that if only you could have lived at the time of Jesus I've thought that before. I'm sure every one of us who's a believer here today has thought that. 
it would have been great to be Nathaniel or Peter, to see him, to, to, to see his face and hear him actually preach, to be at the Sermon on the Mount. And you feel as though these people had a great advantage because they were with Christ. And Paul saw a vision. He was brought to the third heaven. You say, if only I could have something like that. He, they had all these things, but I have to live 2,000 years away by faith and I can never see anything. And you, you feel that you're at a, a disadvantage. But the truth is, we're not really at a disadvantage. It's true that we haven't seen him, and that would make some difference. But think about it for a second. You, you can go into Mary's house when she conceived, because you have a record of it here. Not a brief paragraph. There's an extended record of it. You, you, can, you can go down to Egypt with Mary and Joseph when Herod tried to kill the children. You can go to Christ's baptism. You can go um, when Christ went away alone for prayer. You can go to the Sermon on the Mount and you can go to you can go into all the private moments that most people in Israel didn't see. You, you can go alone with Christ and the disciples to Caesarea Philippi where he said, who do people say I am? And Peter gave the great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he tells them about his crucifixion and Peter refuses it. Most people never saw that. You can. You can. Even you can go into Jairus' house and see Christ speak to the dead little girl and raise her. Even all the disciples didn't see that. Only three of them saw it. Only three of them saw it. You can go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Only three disciples were with Christ. You can go to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was basically alone. The people who lived at the time didn't know any of this happened. They didn't know till about a hundred years later after all it was recorded down. We are actually, we know a lot more about Jesus and are much closer to him than anyone who lived at his time, maybe apart from a few of his disciples. Isn't that interesting when you put it that way? You can pick up the Gospel of Matthew and you can walk for three years with Christ. We don't need to feel far away from him. We can see his glory. We can see him deal with sinners. We can see him deal with Judas. We can see him alone in an interview with Pilate. We can see him pray and cry in the garden. What about this? You can go into the tomb when the body was discovered. And you think you're far from Christ and you, don't, you, you can't relate that you're far away 2,000 years. We read and we have a description. It's like a news reporter. You, you can go into the tomb. It tells us that John and Peter peered into the tomb and saw the grave clothes. No one in Israel saw that, but I've seen it. And so have you. Because we have an infallible record of it. So we can see the glory of Christ in the Word, in the Gospels, in the cross. Let me say two things in closing. What is the best way for you to see these things? By the Word and by prayer. By the Word and by prayer. Or by worship. And I mean real worship. Real worship, not a form, a formalistic worship, or just a coming in and just singing the words, not thinking about them, or whatever it is we may have done throughout our lives. How do you see the glory of God, friend? Spiritually 
in worship. You see with the eye of faith, not by sight. You see spiritually. You see the face emerge. And by the word and prayer, you must see the face of Christ. And when the word is read, it emits a glory. When the word is preached, preached, it emits a glory. When we're gathered for worship, there's something spiritual going on, even here this morning. That Christ walks among the lampstands. Revelation chapter 1. To see if the lamp on top of it is burning. This congregation is a lampstand. Christ is here. He may hide his face from us if we don't worship him in spirit and in truth and in love and in expectation and with the eye of faith seen beyond what you can touch with your hand. But there is the spiritual world and we see his glory through the act of worship. When the word is read, when the word is preached, there is a contact between God and you. You touch When you pick up this word prayerfully, this is no, let's learn a few things from a Bible study. Let's let's treat it like a a history textbook. This is alive. It is the living, breathing word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the living, life-giving, infallible, divine word. The thing I have in front of me and that you have in front of you is alive. And if you want to see glory... It must be spiritual. And as you come to this word in worship, God will, there is a contact between your soul and God, between your soul and Christ's soul. And he will reveal things to you. He will quicken your heart and open your eyes. And you will see things and experience things in your heart and mind when you read this word that other people don't. That a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim or a formalistic Christian or a false Christian will not experience. Isn't that wonderful? How often do you read this? Sometimes it's hard to read. You think, I just don't have the energy to read this. Because the devil tells us it's basically like you have to plough through yourself and find something. But we have to get our minds right. If you come to worship him, to close your eyes in prayer and read the word and you want to touch the Lord Jesus he will reveal his glory to you for your life in this word and in prayer too in prayer too when you pray your soul is touching contact through the spirit of God with the soul of Christ who receives the prayers of God's people it's not real maybe you think it's um, that you're saying something and it's going up and then somehow God will deal with it and then you're not sure if an answer will come back down think of prayer differently friend think of prayer as when you go in a worshipful attitude and you address the Father that he is right there and listening and that Christ the man Christ Jesus the Saviour he can hear that prayer and he is intimately involved with it you're directly addressing him in worship and if you're longing for him and praying to him, you will, he will reveal his glory to you because he delights to reveal his glory. The word and prayer. And when that word and prayer comes, it transforms the soul. You see that Paul says that. 
That's God's will for us in the Christian life. That's why he saved us. It transforms the soul. The form of the soul is changed. God's will for us is to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul says here that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. If you come and worship, if you're reading the Word as we've looked at, if you are uh, reading and praying as a worshipper of God, your soul is being transformed into that image, Paul says. Like gold that's refined and melted and put into a different shape to make something beautiful. Like a coin that's stamped with the image of the king or the queen. You will have his exact image stamped on you when you read and you pray and you interact with him in the Gospels. You will be in his glorious image. That's the last thing I'm going to say. Please take that with you. Today, everyone is too relaxed about their relationship to Christ. He'll do it. He'll take care of me. He's sovereign. Some, someone else will be the great Christian. I just like what I'm doing. But the truth is, every single one of us, that the will of God for us is to be exactly like Christ. It's nothing lower than that. No one here is a common Christian. Our end is all the same. The height is that we would be like a coin with the exact image of Christ's face upon it. And the truth is, hardly anyone wants that. We just want to be good enough. We just want to get by. Many of you here know the history of the church. There are people that lived in this country that lived like Paul. And their entire life was caught up with becoming like Christ, worshipping Christ, becoming a master of his word, drinking in that word, and being utterly changed by it, and being bold, and going against the government, and all kinds of other things, for Christ. They were in his image. These were coins that had the face of Christ upon them. But today we think just do a little Bible study and then I can spend my time how I want and if God's going to change the country he'll just change it that isn't the case Paul tells us that you as a true believer if you are one can see by faith God's glory and that when you see it each day when you see it in your devotions and in your worship it will utterly transform what you are and you'll have Christ's boldness. You'll have his holiness. You'll have his love for the Father. You will walk around and you will actually then have that title, a Christian, because you're actually a Christ, Ian. That you, someone will call you a Christian not just because you label yourself one, but they'll call you a Christian because when you're there, Christ is there. When they look at you, they'll see something of this wonder, this glorious Son of God.
So we can see the glory of God. And when we return uh, tonight, we're going to look at something later on in chapter 4 regarding the glory that is to come. May God bless his word uh, to our needy souls.